All right. Well, Paul, thank you very much for being on this call with us. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. So my name is Paul O'Need. I am the head coach of Master Athletic Performance. I'm also the co-founder of Coaches Corner University with Tony Montgomery. Uh, I've been a strength coach for over 15 years, uh, various universities across Canada and the U.S., um, two master's degrees, one in exercise science and one in sports management, and uh, just took the leap actually to full-time coaching remotely uh, recently. So looking forward to the new challenges that await with that. That's really crazy. It's uh, amazing how many things that you're able to do if you just like organize and prioritize your time correctly. A lot of people try to like give off this feeling of I don't have time and I can't really focus on things, but you're doing it. And I've watched Coach's Corner. I've been sitting down with Rob to look at different things and listen and watch and, and look at you on the social media. And you're able to be an athlete as much as you're able to be a coach. Mm -hmm. uh, how how do you see yourself? Are you being, are you able to see yourself as both equally? Well, I think, I think if you are going to coach people, there needs to be an element of accountability on your part with regards to the product that you're putting forward. So uh, a good way to put it is that I try to be the product of my product, right? I'm a representation of what I'm trying to get out of my athletes. So the same accountability that I ask for from them, I'm asking for from myself. Um, I'm of no uh, delusion that I'm not the athlete that I once was. I mean, when I, when I was competing at the highest level in powerlifting, I was ranked in the top 20 all time in two different weight classes. I'm simply not able to do that anymore. Just from a physical standpoint, from a sacrifice standpoint um, towards my health. And I have a lot of other things going on, but that is still a large part of who I am and what I do uh, as a coach. If I'm going to, mentor others to be as attentive to the needs of their clients as I expect uh, that a coach should be. I have to be the, I have to be the ideal from, for which to shoot for. Right. right. Um, I will never attach my name to something I'm not proud of. Uh, and I try my best and, and like I'm human, right? Nobody's perfect, but I try my best to provide to someone else what I wish I had when I was coming up. That's awesome, man. I, I, that's kind of where the reason why I got into fitness was because I, I do. I was just a weekend warrior that was in a gym working out in a CrossFit. I hurt my knee uh, playing outside of, of the place. And then I went to my coach. I said, coach, I don't know, something snapped in my knee. And he was like, oh, don't worry about it. Just keep working out. It'll go away. So eventually just that turned into a shattered meniscus and slowed me down. And I was like, I can't believe that I'm not getting the answers for nutrition from a lot of coaches. I'm not getting the answers for recovery, for health. Yeah, I'm just getting the answers of lift 82.5% today, seven times. And that's like, I, I didn't like that, you know? So I'm glad that you're taking that route. A lot of coaches need to hear that and need to do that. Um, that's, that's very uh, exemplary of you, you know? I'm going to ask you a couple of questions to see also, like, where, where do you come from as far as, how you've changed over time, because I know that going from an athlete to a coach or to a business owner mm -hmm. is also a thing, you know, um, what is your best investment financially that you've ever made in that transition from athlete to coach? Um, I would say that I've been a coach longer than I've been an athlete. I was just, I actually became an athlete to be a better coach. 
Like I did it backwards. So when I was at the University of South Florida, I came down as this, you know, husky white kid, five nine from Canada with a weird accent, trying to coach these kids who are going to make multi million dollar contracts in the NFL. Who gives a fuck what I have to say? Excuse my language. Um, and my boss approached me one day, and he's kind of like, "Hey, like, you know, how do you feel?" I'm like, oh, man, "I think I know what I'm doing. These kids don't listen to me." And he goes, "Because you're different from them. They need to see that you are." you are someone to look up to. You've never played college football. You're not like a crazy strength athlete. There's, there's nothing about you that stands out to them as special. And like, those are first, like it was, that's hard, it's tough to hear, right? It's like, you're not special when you're young. That's you know, something you want to believe. My mom always told me I was special. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, listen, I'm really fucking strong. I'm just going to compete in being really fucking strong. So at the time I could, I could squat almost 600 pounds, you know, like at the, which back then was crazy. Um, yeah. So I did, I did a meet. And as soon as I did that meet and the kids saw me training for the meet, I immediately had credibility with them. So I just kept competing. Um, it was what I could lean on in terms of, Hey, I need you to do this because I'm willing to do it myself. Um, so that's how I got into powerlifting, transitioning from, you know, being a coach to being a business owner has been challenging because the exchange of money has always been something that is, uh, difficult for me because I, I value money very highly. So right. to ask for what I would consider to be a large sum of money is hard, even though I know that you're not paying for the piece of paper or the, the weekly email or the, the video call or whatever, you're not paying for that. You're paying for the 15 years of education and experience beforehand. Right. And you're, you are investing in me so that I can invest in you, right? It's a reciprocal relationship. And um, I would say the biggest investment in my education, in my coaching has been, you know, moving to Florida initially. Like I, I was working as a personal trainer. I was working as a bouncer. I was working as a supplement store manager all at the same time. Um, I saved $10,000, uh, and quit all the jobs and moved from Ottawa, Ontario to Tampa, Florida for, for four months. Wow. I, and because I was an international student, I wasn't allowed to work. So I couldn't earn any money for those four right. months that I was living here or living in the U.S., sorry. While I was there, I ended up getting admitted to the master's program at University of South Florida. So I started, I started school, $21,000 a year. Um, and I could not work. The only place I could work was Campus Rec for minimum wage. This is the only place I could work on campus. Um, about a year into that, I got a full-time position at Robert Morris University, $48,000 a year. Um, but because I was working for the school, my tuition was paid for. I did. I was there for two years. Um, you know, they gave me $1,000 a month stipend for working 70 hours a week and going to school, right, GA. Uh, then I graduated from Robert Morris uh, and needed to finish my degree in Florida. So I went back to Tampa took a, a job that was a stipend position as the associate strength coach at UT, um, finished my degree in six months, and then finally got my first full-time job uh, after spending close to a quarter million dollars on my education. Like, I, I personally, um, I'm very grateful for my parents. They helped me out a lot during that. So I only was left with about $60,000 of debt. 
Um, but my first full-time position at Queens University is a head strength coach of 15 teams and 50 students. Wow. $53,000 a year. Wow. But I took that job because that's what I wanted to do. So you think that probably one of your biggest investments have been you able to not value the money as much, but value what you are becoming out of saving and transitioning into the positions that made yes. you who you are? Absolutely, man. Like the, if you think, if you look back at that whole thing, I worked for free for a year and a half. Then I worked for a thousand dollars a month for two years just wow. so I could be a strength coach. And, and that's an investment that you make in yourself so that hopefully later on in your life, you're able to reap the benefits of it. Now, the unfortunate reality is, is that in strength and conditioning, had I stayed in the U.S., it might have been a different story. I interviewed for, for positions at Georgetown and VCU, and I, I would have gotten those jobs. Um, but I wanted to come back to Canada. I wanted to come back home. And because um, at the time, my brother had his first kid, so I wanted to, I wanted to be close to my family. Right, and, close. Um, yeah, so that to me, it was, it was worth it. I, I could still do the same job, but, but here, and it's like, I look back and the number of experiences that I've had, the number of people I've met, the network I've built, the friendships I've made, the mentors that I've had, I, I would have paid 10 times that much. Right. It becomes more valuable over time when you realize how much more you can use that information that you've learned. And that's exactly. amazing because it, it, a lot of the coaches that are going to be watching this still need, they're coming off of what I, what I was taught was like, yeah, no, get in it and charge a lot of the money. You need to put yourself in the high of the value ladder. And mm -hmm. it's no, a lot of the successful coaches that I've met have told me, no, you're going to be working for free for a little bit. It's going to be okay. And you're going to have to meet people and they're going to refer you. And little by little, you'll find not only clients, but some of those clients will be mentors in a way that you don't know, you know? Well, the other thing when you're setting your prices, you have to look at like who you want to work with, right? So right. I set my prices the way they are. I still charge Canadian dollars because a lot of my clients are Canadian, um, which is a great discount for you guys in the U.S., uh, about 30% discount. <laughs> Use code USA is better than Canada. Um, but uh, I don't charge the top rates because I know that if, right. say if I, I know that some coaches up here are charging like $250 or $300 a month. Now I charge that if you're doing training and nutrition, but if you're doing training only, I charge a rate that I know most people can afford because the people I want to coach aren't the ones that can afford to pay $300 a month. And right. I've heard the argument made that, you know, if they, if they value it, they will afford it. And I'm sorry, a stonemason who deadlifts 800 pounds is not going to want to pay 300 bucks a month for coaching, regardless right. of how much value I add to his life, you know? So that's a decision that I made consciously. Could I charge more? Absolutely. But I can pay my bills. I, I'm, I'm doing just fine. And, you know, to me, that's, that's enough. If you want to be the type of person who goes after that executive level client with, you know, who can pay three, $400 a month, you're having a weekly Skype call, that sort of thing. And you want to value your time per hour. Absolutely. You should do that. And I do offer a product at that rate, but I don't have many people who can afford it. Right. right. So be, be respectful of your time, but also at this, at this, in the same breath, like if you want to work with who you want to work with, you might not be able to charge what you want to charge. 
I like that because it's a lot of self-awareness in your part, trying to figure out your pricing and how to, you know, what clients you want to have. That leads me into like, okay, you've, you went from athlete and coach and, and you were in that essence also a coach before and worked in it and then into a business owner, which is essentially like, let's say another sport, right? You mm -hmm. have to learn it and go for it. What has been your favorite failure overall? that has probably given you the most bang for your buck as far as changing you and developing you into who you are now? Um, <laughs> I, don't know if the, I don't know if the word favorite is the right word, um, but the most impactful failure is my marriage. You know, I lost my, I lost my marriage because I was so uni unilaterally focused on something. Um, so, enveloped in it that I was unable to see what was happening in the rest of my life. But through that failure, it, you know, it held a mirror up to myself as a man, uh, it held a mirror up to myself as a, as a human being. And the amount of growth and development that came out of that was, you know, invaluable. That's why I'm sitting here today, you know, having achieved the things that I've achieved, being able to step away from a, a cushy full-time job to go into business for myself. Um, But I think people, I think people are afraid to fail because I think they're really afraid to invest themselves fully into something. You never get the full, like you never get the full value of something in terms of, in terms of your, your, your self evolution, unless you invest yourself fully into it. And right. if you invest yourself fully into it, you have to understand that the answer might be that you're not good enough for that thing for that thing right and and that caveat right for that thing your lack of success is not a reflection of your competence or your self-worth you're just not there yet and if it's something that you want you can put in that work and you can you can proceed to do that um you know i'm fully aware that there was a lot going on in my marriage beyond my my work but it really did hold, hold a light up to me and be like, Hey, like in this, in this instance, in this endeavor, you weren't good enough and that's okay. doesn't make you a bad person, you know, but it should, however, make you strive to be a better person. Yeah. So it's that, definitely, that's all we can do. it's definitely something very important and it's tough. Yeah. I like, I, I, I name it favorite failure and you're right. Sometimes it's not a favorite failure, but it's most impactful. Mm -hmm. And I told Rob, When we talk about family and, 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 and when it hits home at, like that, you know, I've, I've always seen it as I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs build their business, uh, uh, build their family around their business. And then what I decided to do was I think that it's important to build your business around your family. And then it's, it's, it's more of a, okay, the bricks are outside. I'm not, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to take care of what's inside and little by little build towards the outside from here. And, and I, I thank you for sharing that because not everybody is able to talk about their failures, especially the ones that impact so close to home and to heart. Because as we grow, it's like, you know, when you're young, you look at the lifting score and then your social score with your friends and, you know, and the people out there. But when you, you know, you grow up and you start thinking, you know, this is Maslow's hierarchy of need. This is my end range. This is where I'm going to have my ins and outs. This is my forever. So it's not easy to talk about it, you know? 
So I, mm-hmm. I thank you very much because I'm sure there's a lot of people that have asked me to talk about more of that stuff that we don't talk about. I know Rob talks about mental health a lot in that essence. Um, let me let me go into this one now. What is the worst advice that you've been given, let's say, as a coach? And so you're a high-level coach, you're top of the line, but somebody has advised you and maybe sometimes they've advised you wrong. Do you remember anything like that, that you've been given advice for to be a better coach and it just that was not good for you? And probably coaches out there are getting that advice right now. I don't know if it was bad advice per se, but I think one of the worst things that's being perpetuated these days is this like the like hustle porn. It's like you need to hustle, hustle, hustle all the time. Um, you know, the grind don't stop, don't take days off. Uh, I can tell you from personal experience, if you grind and don't take days off, you'll end up in the gutter. You're going to end up just in a not good place, mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, your work should be something that fulfills you and fills your cup. Yes, you do have to have things going on outside. You can't, I think people get into this headspace that, and, and maybe this was advice because I was told early on that you had to invest your whole self into it. And I don't think that that's bad advice. What I think is bad implementation of advice is having your entire identity wrapped into one aspect, right? So if you are Paul, the coach, well, I'm also Paul, the, well, you know, I'm Paul, the dog owner, I'm Paul, the brother, I'm Paul, the son, I'm, I'm Paul, the boyfriend, you know, I'm all of these things. I'm Paul, the athlete, um, I'm Paul, the friend. You know, and these are all parts of my life that need nurturing. So if you invest yourself wholly into one thing to the point where all of your self-worth comes from that area, if anything ever happens to that, your self-worth is in the gutter. You have no ego left. So to be able to pull from every aspect of your life and fill your cup from multiple other, other cups, right? Um, I'm, I'm, my life is filled with so much love now. And, uh, and that's not to say that it wasn't before, but I was very much blinded to that because I was so focused in this one direction. Um, and I think, I think a lot of young coaches need to realize that if you are coaching an amount of athletes that allows you to pay your bills and you are comfortable in that, in that sense where you can continue learning, continue growing, that doesn't mean everything in your life has to be centered around your job. Right. That's the whole reason. Like I didn't have to quit my full-time job. Just like my last day is next week. I work probably 30 to 35 hours a week at a job. That's very stable, provides me a good income. I have benefits. I have a pension. It doesn't take any of my mental bandwidth, but you know what it does take away from me time. Wow. I've also managed to build four businesses outside of that which need my nurturing and they're things that I love doing. So the full-time salary that I was earning, yeah, it's great. And it allowed me to get into a really good financial position, but I need that time for me more than I need that money. My ultimate goal with this move is to not fill those 30 hours, just to get them back, take them back right. and mine. So yeah, like you don't need to be working a hundred hours a week as a trainer. If you do it right, man, if any, the, 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 the scalability of your, of your income is almost infinite. 
Does it affect you also in your training sessions, your own personal training sessions? That's one area where like, I think I've done a very good job. Like I'm I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing. Mm. So when I train, it's just training. I I don't answer client DMs. I don't do any of that stuff. You Uh, shut it off. I don't shut it off. I'm just good at just not looking at it. Um, But uh, the way in which it might have impacted is like, when I was coaching in person, absolutely impacted me getting like i think one day we figured it out myself my business my 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 co-head coach when i was at robert morris like i wonder how much weight we lift outside of our workouts like putting away 45 pound plates oh wow yeah yeah yeah. it was something like one hundred and sixty thousand pounds <laughs> so you think about that plus plus your own training plus you're probably walking twenty thousand steps a day it adds up so that that definitely weighed on my training um but I very much value my training as my own time. Um, I wouldn't say that it's like, you know, training is my therapy because I think that's a huge fucking cop out. Uh, but it definitely is meditative. Um, I do get into a really good flow state when I'm training. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's why I've, I've stuck with training so long. Like I could have quit a hundred times, like, you, especially you, in the last five years, man. Like You're doing it. You're doing it's, it. And it's, it's brushing my teeth right now. Like it's like training is brushing my teeth. Right. For me has been like hard to be able to switch from one task to the next. So for example, if I'm doing a marketing task and I'm putting up some Facebook ads mm-hmm. and then I have to go in there and, you know, you have to research the click funnels. You have to research the hormosi. You have to listen to them. Yeah. You have to make sure that you do it correctly because you could lose a lot of money doing the wrong ad spend on Instagram, Facebook, especially when you're in the fitness industry that there's, you know, everyone can put an ad up and Mm -hmm. anyone put up some great content and creative, but then going from that to you have a client in 10 minutes, then going from that to, Hey, you have an hour between this client and this client. Now you got to work out. So throwing that warm up, and then us as coaches is like, man, I feel tight on my left hip, which is probably a compression and expansion piece and my this and my that. (laughs) (laughs) 45 minutes into trying to find some Camperini deadlift or RDL, variation that helps you you're warmed up ready to go you start hitting the squats hey your client's here go warm up for 10 minutes i got you you know it just becomes the, that it, it becomes that journey of becoming a, a you know a coach and where you want to go from here and how you want to organize it i think prioritizing is what you're doing and you're able to compartmentalize each thing and just switch from one task to the next i think that's a skill it comes with yeah. practice for sure. I also have strategies built in place. Like we're in my office right now. Yeah. When I close the door to my office, I'm not thinking about work because my office, it's in, I'm in my house. Imagine if I didn't, if I didn't compartmentalize. Right. I'm in my house, dude. Yeah. Like, like we're, know? we're, we're right now in, in our break room, yeah. <laughs> but we have to do it because if not, we'll never get it done. We talked about that. Yeah, for a so while. like if you're in your break room now and that's where you get your work done. As soon as you go out onto the floor, something different. Uh, one thing that I did when I was at Queens uh, here in Canada is like I had my rack. It's like that was the rack that I trained on. If I was in the rack, I was training. If I was outside the rack, anything goes. So here in my home, I have my personal laptop, my other screen. I have my work laptop, my other screen. I'm at my desk. Okay. My dogs have a bed, they can chill. As soon as I leave this room and close the door, 
work is done. I don't bring my laptop out of my room, out of my office. It stays in my office. That's where I work. When I'm eating, I'm at my dinner table. When I'm watching TV, I'm on my couch. I have a TV in my bedroom, but I never use it. When I'm in my bedroom, I'm sleeping or I'm with my girlfriend. Like that's the, the hat. You have to have some separation. I have the gym downstairs. Uh, one of my biggest pet peeves about my own gym is I don't have a door. So what I, what I do is I will usually finish work around four. I'll, I'll drink, I'll sip a pre-workout while I answer a couple emails. As soon as the pre-workout's done, I leave my house and I go for a walk around the block. As soon as I walk back in my door, I go downstairs. So there's a, there's a distinct separation or like buffer zone, right? Whether, whether it be a door, whether it be a room where this starts, this ends. So that's wow. I know like uh, <laughs> Jordan shallow and I were chatting one day and he has his, when he was living in California, he had this like tiny little shoebox apartment. And his dining table was lawn chair, like lawn equipment. So yeah. he had, he sat in one chair to eat. He sat in one chair to work. And then he didn't have two other chairs. Oh, so wow. Alternate what chair was for what. Well, and, I mean, really, I believe it does something. You know, it, it changes that, it charges that switch and just flips it. It's like, all right, let's flip the switch. This is the chair for this. This is the time for this. And I think that that's what we were having. We didn't have time to do these, you know, talks and podcasts and a lot of the questions that I wanted to make to, to other coaches and clients and athletes. And then it was suddenly like, well, we have to figure it out for now. Mm -hmm. And then eventually be able to flip the switch over and over again. Like what you're saying is practice also. So there's practice. There's also a routine into it and buffer zones that need to happen. And we'll, you know, I guess we'll learn them over time and start implementing them. You know, another thing I think, people forget or they are ignorant to is how much time is wasted. Yeah. How much time you actually waste, like dug in your phone, like you pull up your phone to check your eye health app. It's like, how many steps am I at today? Well, I check my eye health and then I check Instagram and then I check this and then I check that. It's like, bro, just check your eye health and put it away. So one thing that I, I was doing before and it kind of became a habit. So I don't have to do anymore is I would set an alarm for 45 minutes and I would not look at my phone until like 45 minutes went off. So I could get 45 minutes of uninterrupted work. And if you are someone who works very efficiently, 45 minutes, you can accomplish a lot, right? Yeah. Um, like I could probably do like six to eight client check-ins for nutrition in 45 minutes. So like, that's a good amount of work. And then um, that's one thing. The other thing is making an appointment with yourself. Same way you would make an appointment with your, with your clients, make an appointment with yourself. Like, Oh, I have an appointment with Paul to train for two hours. Okay. That's my appointment. That's I used, it. I used to, uh, when I was in the thick of like, when I was still living in Calgary with my ex-wife and things were pretty bad from like a mental health standpoint, I actually would plan naps. I would schedule naps. Wow. My, I would be like, okay, I'm going to work from this time to this time because my anxiety was so bad that I couldn't hold myself to any sort of schedule in my head. I had to have it written down. So they're like, okay, you're going to wake up at four. You're going to read for 20 minutes. You're going to journal for 20 minutes. And I would set timers for everything. And then right. that's the point where it's like, okay, 11 AM, 20 minute nap, set your timer, lie down. That's and amazing. Like everything was, everything was on a timer. And that's something that I did when I was in grad school. Cause so I was like, all right, you're up at three 30 in the morning. You're at the facility by five. 
you're coaching from five to 11, from 11 to, to one, you're training at one, you're going to go study for two hours. Then you're going to go home. You're going to get some food. Then you're coming back for class. Like everything had to be on a timer. So like every, even my meals, my fucking bathroom breaks, you have to be like that. If you, like, if you want to, if you want to achieve like things that people haven't achieved, as corny as it sounds, you have to do shit they are not willing to do. Yeah, without without going into the hustle hard mentality. Exactly, because you're, you're doing it for you. It's an investment. You're like, oh, I sacrificed this. The premise of sacrifice is you get nothing in return. You selfish fuck. <laughs> it, it's not a sacrifice if you get something in return. If you're doing something for, if you're putting out for the input, yeah, it's an investment. Right, you're investing your time into something great. And when you do that immediately, what, what's the connotation of, of sacrifice or investment? Which one is more positive? Yeah, Which sorry. one is more controlling, right? The, the, the investment, like I have control of this investment. Oh, um, sorry. whereas a sacrifice, you're like, it's more like, woe is me, right? It's like, oh, you know, I'm sacrificing. No, you're not. So you're in, investing in yourself is organizing your time it's finding those buffer zones is that what you're saying it's self-care investing your time is self-care right 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 okay and now sometimes you go through i'm guess do you ever go through training slumps where you don't want to train uh yeah (laughs) and what do you do then what what do you do because i we, we get clients like that and you know people come to the gym and we see them all the time and we train them and they want to perform like a top performer you know 12 months out of the year 365 days sundays off means like i'm gonna go for a jog because i felt great so it was like it's like we see them go through the training slump and not be able to get out because they don't know so we try telling people like look you have to have certain cycles where you have to back off a little bit out of what you're doing and not necessarily back off the gym, just back off the amount of, you know, heavy resistance loading that you're probably doing to yourself is not only up, right? I think it more has to do more with the pressure that you place upon yourself. Like there needs to be time where you back off and you go through the motions. Like I think there, that's a valuable thing to do is like just training for the sake of training. Um, I definitely go through periods where I don't want to train for the better part of the last, you know, five years I've been injured. You know, like I started off 2016, I had knee surgery. I came back, I had two pretty good meets, tore my pec, tore my quad, tore my other quad. You know, like there's been, I tore my IT band. I've had chronic knee pain. Like, but training is what I, it's part of who I am. It's part of what I do. So I'm always going to be in the gym training. And yeah, there's probably a little bit of disordered habits going on in there, but (laughs) <laughs> I think there's, I think there's worth worse habits to have. Um, I've learned how to harness it. I've learned how to approach it in a much more healthy manner. Um, and uh, the lessons learned again, it's like, if I cannot, you know, if I can't convince myself to train, how can I convince someone else to train? And I always right. come back to like, that maybe that's my why or whatever you want to call it. But like, if I want to be, if I want my clients to be the best, best selves, I need to be my best self. And part of being my best self means training. Um, right. The, 
the conversation of like motivation versus discipline, I don't think it's either because it's a habit. It's like, nope, like right now I'm training on Tuesdays and Thursdays during the week. I go train at 4 p.m. On the weekend, at some point I will train on Saturday and Sunday, depending on the schedule, but it's, I'm always going to be training. And you're going to go through the training slumps and the injuries. And that's how, how do you pick yourself back up when you're emotionally not into the gym because of your injury or because of whatever reason, maybe people are tired sometimes and they just, that week is not the same as the other weeks or they get to the gym, they warm up and they still don't feel like they want. It's like, I don't, I don't know if you've ever um, had that with a top athlete or yourself where it's like, it's like almost like you don't want to lift because you wish you could do it another way, but you can't, it's just not feeling right. Man, I would, I wish that I could train differently than I do right now. Like all the time. Like I can't, I can't do more than three working sets of squats a week without knee pain. Right. Like squatting is my favorite, favorite movement, but I know that this is what I can tolerate right now. And it keeps me in the gym. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that like the longer you're in this and the, the higher level you get, you're going to have more bad days than good days. And you're going to have more days where you don't want to train than you do. Right. But no matter what, if you're in the gym working, you're going to be making improvements or at the right. very least, you're not going to be moving backwards. Right. And a lot of it now, like I'm, I just programmed a, a deload week for my clients online and they hate me for it. <laughs> They're like, why are you giving me less work? I'm like, I, I, it's been like almost 15 weeks. I need to give you uh, some less work. But, you know, I, I think it's that understanding that concept of being able to undulate on your training. I think it's very important for some people, you know, it's, a, it's absolutely important from a physiological perspective, like you're trying to decay fatigue. Um, but there's also times when your life needs to take precedent over your training. Like you need to focus on your business and maybe you don't have three hours to train. You only have two or you only have an hour and a half or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, or maybe you can't afford to be walking around sore all the time um, right. because you have, you want to play with your kids. Right. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, the aspect of novelty in training is so underutilized. People are so, unwilling to change the way they do things because it's the only, and unfortunately it's because it's the only way they know how to do things. Well, right. the more tools you have in your toolbox, the more different ways you can skin a cat. So if you're bored doing what you're doing, you still want to get stronger. Well, there's a hundred million different ways to get stronger. Why don't we try a different approach and right. roll with that? Like for me, there's a novelty now where like I have access to some machines where I haven't had the access before. So I'm like, right. like, this is a new novelty that I can throw into my training. I'm messing with some hypertrophy pro, uh, principles, trying some different things with myself and my clients, seeing where they work out. I'm like, you know, that's, that's novelty. It's keeping things interesting where I might not mentally want to be in training every day. I'm still going right. to do it because I got it. Yeah. And I, and I think that's where, that's where the last question comes in because there's a lot of clients that, that they're out there on their own and they have no idea how and what to do anything right mm -hmm. and they they hear the you know you always got to switch up where workouts or your body will get used to it and nothing will happen ever uh, <laughs> there's also the notion of you have to do fasted cardio every day for an hour there's also the notion of take you know all the fat burners you can see which one works best because you, fat burners are the way to burn fat like we we hear it all you've heard it all 
Bro, they're what? called fat burners. They burn fat. <laughs> I mean, the FDA says they, they're okay. Wait, no, the FDA hasn't checked them, but okay. Yeah. All right, so let, let, let me see, like, where, where, what advice do you have? Like, if you had a banner for the fitness highways on every gym, you had a banner, and it could only give one advice to the novice people in gyms, the novice person that walks in and wants to do the powerlifting or wants to do the CrossFit or wants to do the hypertrophy, whatever their goal is to be. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the people that walk into fitness is they want a higher status. So they mm -hmm. want to have their lift more weight or they want to be like their friend that's very strong or they want to get the ladies or they, the girls want to have the big butt and everything. They're always like, I want the higher status. I want my body to be better, whatever it is. In a way, a lot of them are novice. What would you have? What would you? What would it say on your banner in every gym? Have fun. Oh, fucking awesome, man! That's why he have fun, man. Like that's amazing. At the end of the day, like as much as I say, like yeah, there's times when I don't want to train. Like anytime I start training, I'm having fun. It might be miserable. I might be in pain. There might be discomfort. Whatever. I, I'm having fun for some weird reason. I think that's fun. Um, <laughs> But you know, they're cracking and it hurts. And yeah, I everything like everything hurts. My bones hurt. I'm having fun. Um, and at the end of the day, that's where the motivation and discipline comes from. That's where, like, I know that when my training is good, I'm having fun. So if my training is to be good, I need to sleep well. I need to eat well. I need to manage my stress. Training is my anchor. It, it holds me in place when when the when the seas are rough. Um, And that's, that to me is, is the value that I see in training in my life. And if I want my life to be stable, I need to keep training. And like, there's been times, uh, you know, after the hybrid showdown last year, I had competed twice in a row. I was going through a divorce. I knew I couldn't, I wanted to compete again, but I knew from a physical perspective, I couldn't do that. So I hired a nutrition coach and my goal was to get as shredded as I possibly could because I just needed to be working towards a goal. And I knew that if I could do that, I'd be happy. And so I, so I did that. And then, you know, I, I, I achieved that, that goal of uh, body composition that I wanted. I'm like, okay, well, time to push my strength again. But this time I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to manage my nutrition a little bit more closely, manage to maintain my body composition at a pretty solid rate. And guess what? Still training, still having fun. Having fun is, is the reason why you keep doing it. And you're still an example to all of the, your clients as well. Exactly, That's amazing. I think that that's probably one of my favorite things that, that, that you've probably said and everything. Overall, having fun and, and liking what you're doing gives you that why. I do it because I'm having fun, because that's who I am, you know? And I will say that on the flip side of that, if you're trying to push yourself to the highest levels of your performance, physically, mentally, emotionally, it won't be fun. Right. But that's a sacrifice that you make, right? You know, right. You, you can ask, uh, you can ask anyone who's achieved anything great. If that last couple of weeks of training was fun, they'll probably say no, but the journey is what they found the enjoyment in, right? The, right. the big picture is what they found fun. Each individual day probably wasn't. Right. I remember I walked off the platform at the 2016 Arnold or 20, 
2017 Arnold. And I had just gone four for nine. I missed like three lifts, like right at lockout. Like I missed my squat. I lost my balance with 850. My deadlift, I missed 750, like an inch from my hip. And my bench, I had a torn pack. So I hit my opener and then I missed my second. But like I walked off the platform, like almost in tears. And Brian Carroll comes over. He was a good friend. He is, is a good friend of mine, a mentor. And he's like, it's not fun, is it? <laughs> and, and it was it was gutty but those words stuck with me because in that moment it wasn't fun but that big journey everything that led up to that was a lot of fun everything that followed it was a lot of fun and I continue to have fun so if you're not training for the purpose of having fun find something else go knit we had we had a um we had an olympian yesterday uh, Weston Zaza, he's a, he's a hurdler mm-hmm. and a sprinter. And uh, he, he told us a story where it wasn't fun because he missed. He, so they, get, they pick up the top three guys and they take them to Olympics or big championships. The first two um, are taken because they're going to compete. The third one is like, you're not, it's a reserve, right? So he lost to the third place by 0.001 of a second. <laughs> so by point zero, a hundredth of a second. That's like, that's fast. That's less time than a fart. <laughs> exactly. And, and I watch these guys give it all on the track. They're with a, with a, with a team here in Miami. And I watch these people being the fastest people in the world and they're having fun in between or when they're warming up. But when they're training, they're so focused and it hurts so much that they're just quiet. Mm -hmm. And if you're not even around their team, you're just there running on the track for fun. They'll tell you like, hey, get up. Stop, you know, stop laying down on the floor. We're all training here. Let's go. It's so focused. And and it's fun, but it's tough, you know. Mm -hmm. Some of those times are going to be incredible. I I, I thank you for that because, uh, Paul, not a lot of people understand it from your point of view. A lot of people, like you said, want to do the hustle and do the best and do the biggest and be the baddest. And it's not anything like that mm-hmm. out there. You have to be in front of the crowd, in front of the people and do the things. There, it, it takes a lot of inside to be a lot on the outside. So mm-hmm. people miss that and they, they have this emptiness inside and they want to show by having bright lights and it, it doesn't work that way it's a big engine inside that needs to be worked on and oiled and 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 changed around changing parts little by little Mm -hmm. so man thank you very much paul i don't want to take too much of your time there i think i think all the questions have been answered greatly i think you're an amazing person and we're going to keep studying on coach's corner we're going to keep following you and i recommend everybody to follow you what what so what things are you do you want to tell people like follow you on instagram uh yeah sure yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Paul Oneid, P-A-U-L-O-N-E-I-D, um, at Coach's Corner U. Uh, we're actually running a 14-day free trial now for all new members of Coach's Corner. Um, nice. You can also follow my business page at Master Athletic Performance, um, as well as uh, what else? Metri Life, uh, my app. 
so that's at MetriLife underscore M-E-T-R-I-L-I-F-E underscore. Uh, and my sponsors, Bacon and Barbells Clothing and Subject Zero Subs. Use Paul code Paul10 uh, to save some money on those. Perfect. I'll tag them all on the post. And I'll Appreciate put this, it. You have a YouTube channel or anything like that? Uh, Master Athletic has a YouTube channel. So we, myself and my my buddy, Andrew Serrano, we'll, we're posting weekly conversations with one another uh, called Through the Static, where we talk about different, uh, different things regarding fitness, the fitness industry, uh, and how to root through, the, root through the signal for the noise, right? Root through the noise for the signal. Awesome. I got you. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate your time. You have a wonderful day. Pleasure. Rob, Rob, I, I can't believe he talked that much. He's amazing. No, no. He just interrupted the whole <laughs> podcast. Good, man. He's just taking it all in, taking the ambiance. Yeah. Jeez, man. He's letting it marinate. Josh. <laughs> I, shut up. Okay. Um, I wanted you to just meet Lalo. Lalo's a great person, man. And I just wanted him to really meet my mentor, you know? Yeah. Uh, I know I wasn't the best of athletes, but. Uh, <laughs> Put too much but, pressure on yourself. No, man. I, um, but thank you, Paul, for everything you've done. You know, you've really made an impact in my life, you know, and you've definitely have helped me when it comes to coaching, running my business. And I can never thank you for that. My pleasure, man. Anything You're you need, let me know. Now. Yeah, not enough. <laughs> you thank me right now. We're good. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Paul. Yes. Appreciate your my time, pleasure. man. Take care. Take care.